0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Remembering Conference Cantatas. My name is Mike Livermore, and with me is my good friend and co-host, Sam Taylor. Sam, how you doing? Oh, I'm lovely, Mike. How are you? Sam, I am beyond excited. I I don't know if I've ever been more pumped to talk about anything with anyone than I am to talk about this, this cantata this year at Youth Conference up. Uh, so time is of the essence. Let's just get right into it. Perfect. Okay, the, the year was 2003. I was 20 years old, my first year at camp, and this week at camp absolutely changed my life. I look back at my life into two halves, pre-conference 03 and post-conference 03. This year was just so transformative. So the study this year was on RUTH. Uh, And the theme of the cantata is under whose wings thou art come to trust, which comes out of Ruth chapter two and verse 12, where when Ruth was out working in the fields, gathering food for her and Naomi, Boaz goes and approaches her and he says to her, the Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings thou art come to trust. And so that became the theme for that year. Now, the workbook this year was written by Joe Robinson and Ken Styles and Sam. the the workbook this year was so challenging.
1: I, I did the workbook actually, um, several years later. Uh, I did the workbook as part of the Sunday school back at my uh, my the my home ecclesia at the time, the uh, Echo Lake Ecclesia. They did the uh, the Ruth Youth Conference workbook as a as a study for Sunday school. So I remember it was it was e- it was a bit easier for me because it was sort of in the um like you had e and you had programs that made the process a bit easier. But but for you and later on next week we'll talk about me. I could see how it was challenging.
0: Do you remember the density of the pages? There would be twelve to fifteen questions per page. There wasn't even enough room on the page to write your answer that like you would work for two hours and you, maybe would have three pages done.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a bit like, like some, some of the uh, earlier workbooks, they, you know, they were very dense in material and, and sometimes when you knew that there was a time constraint, it could be when you, when you realize like how little pa- in terms of page count you went through, it could be very demoralizing.
0: Yeah. But having said all of that, this is a very worthwhile workbook to complete. So anyone that actually did the workbook, when you were done, you just were so engulfed in the story of Ruth. You learned so much. To this day, the lessons of Ruth and what I learned from the workbook are still reaping dividends in my life. And anytime you just happen to pick up Ruth or it's mentioned in a class or it's in the readings. Like there's just such a richness to the text there. I find it was very much worthwhile, although it was an absolute monster to tackle that summer. Uh, I want to also mention Sam, the workbook, it was ahead of its time in one kind of cool area. The very last question of the workbook was way ahead of its time. It was, if you were, if you're a male, think of Boaz. And if you're a female, think of Ruth and write a letter to yourself from either Boaz or Ruth. Like, so you've learned their character, what they were like. What advice would they give you as a young person? So it was sort of like way ahead of this trend of like write a letter to your younger self or a letter to your future self trend on social media. And I even found my old workbook, Sam, and I found the letter I wrote to myself. And it really sort of struck me all these years later. So the workbook had a lot of, a lot of great stuff inside of it. There was even a lot of depth of examining the symbology, how every character represents a group or a person. And obviously we all know that, you know, Ruth is sort of a symbol of the Gentiles as part of the bride of Christ and Naomi are the Israelites, the repentant Israelites and the bride of Christ. So of course, Boaz is the redeemer. He's a type of Christ. And so this whole illustration of the redemption in Christ is brought out in the story and the workbook did a great job of bringing you into the actual shoes of these people and look at the decisions they made and how tough they were to actually sort of live and simulate their lives. We often sort of rip on a for making this you know, bad decision to go to Moab. And it's sort of easy to do that. It was a bad decision. But the workbook made you realize and think, OK, well, you know what? it was a really tough choice. His family was starving. They're in this drought. Sometimes these decisions, yes, they're bad, but you weren't making because you were being an evil person. Sometimes there's shades of gray and there's complications. So it was sort of a very real discussion and examination of our priorities and how to make choices, how to make difficult choices. So again, it was a very rewarding workbook to to complete.
1: Well, you know, it's kind of funny you mentioned that um, Elimelech part because I actually just heard something just yesterday that really resonated with me. It's, it's inherently going to be difficult to study the past without this sense of bias or a sense of like ridicule that kind of like, you know, why did they make such a stupid decision? The reason why it's going to be, the reason why it's so difficult to study the past is because we know their future, right? right. Hindsight, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we, because we know their future, we, we know what their decision resulted in. Um, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, that kind of speaks volumes for us is that, you know, sometimes the decisions we get into, we've got to kind of be kind to ourselves at sometimes because we don't know our future. But at the same time, we also have a hope in what our, our greater future is going to be and our decisions, um, you know, that we make today need to be made with that greater future in mind.
0: Yeah. When you know the outcome of a decision, it's easy to critique it. And so this workbook helped us to just examine, well, what are our priorities and let that inform your choices to hope for the best outcome possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's jump to the history of some of the context what was happening in 2003. I have a question for you, Sam, a little trivia here, a little history question. Okay. Do you recall what major continental event happened in August of 2003 in eastern north america
1: oh it was one of my favorite days actually of my life i'm glad you asked this uh it was the blackout yeah there was there was was a huge blackout i remember i was um 2003 so i would have just turned 16 years old and i remember going to the local corner store and they were selling they were trying to get rid of all their ice cream because all of it was melting and i think i bought a gallon tub of ice cream for like 50 cents in cash. And I just was sitting outside on this hot summer day, just crushing this gallon of ice cream. I mean, it, it had the atmosphere for like, you know, like, like a kind of a cool sort of picnic thing. Uh, I it was great. I remember that day
0: vividly. Yeah, but that power outage happened right before youth conference, the Wednesday or Thursday before. So imagine preparing to go to camp in the midst of this massive Eastern Bloc, Midwest, Southern Canada power outage. What it led to was a staggered start of the week and only about a third of the campers arrived on Saturday. I was one of those. A lot of the locals in Ontario were not allowed to leave until Sunday night. So it it led to like the, the first two days of camp being very strange and it had a slow start, which sort of actually helped me as a first time attender to kind of get adjusted and get my bearings in the camp. And we actually held uh, two memorial services on Sunday, one in the morning for those that were there and one at night when everyone arrived. So it was a really sort of abnormal year looking back in hindsight. But it did serve the purpose, I think, of sort of breaking the ice and kind of it was this sort of shared experience the camp went through on the first 36 hours where people are kind of sharing food. Sleeping wherever, wherever there was a setup. It led to sort of a nice sort of spirit of bonding in the camp. But then on top of that, Sam, that was only the first potential disaster. This was also the year of the infamous fire in the camp. Oh yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, the story is allegedly that somebody was smoking just outside the camp boundaries and left their cigarette, and it led to like this little like simmering fire, and so people ran to the fire. I I carried two buckets of water, and we formed two bucket lines to the to Lake Martin, and it was this really sort of crazy story and and this adventure the camp went on together, and yes, it was. It could have been a a huge disaster. It could have ended the camp in the short term and long term been a a horrific natural disaster for Manitouan Island. But again, the outcome of that was that it was this wild adventure that all the campers shared together and sort of broke the ice and broke some of the cliques and social boundaries. And you're just handing off buckets to people and communicating. It led again to this spirit of unity. And this bond the camp shared. So I mentioned these two stor- stories, Sam, because I feel these two potential disasters, which, if went a different way, could have really been a stop to the camp. Nonetheless, worked out and had some benefits. but worked out for good, and that sort of mirrors the story of Ruth, where you know Elimelech moving the family to Moab was a disaster. And then Ruth and Naomi coming back to the land as just two single women looking for support. That could have also gone horribly wrong as well. And even also looking to the nearest kinsman and obeying the law later in the story could have also been kind of a sad ending. So there were a lot of potential disasters in the story of Ruth, which all worked out in the end. For good, you know, and Ruth becomes the great grandmother of King David. And it's this wonderful, happy ending. And I feel the camp itself that year had out of these potential disasters something really special and something very good happened amongst the campers that were there that year. So it was actually a sort of a really interesting parallel of the camp to the study. Yeah. So the second half of this week was just magical from tuesday on when tuesday morning was the the beginning of Ruth 1 in the discussion groups and i just thought the the group at camp that you just came together had the adventure of putting out the fire the, the second week it was there was just something in the camp that year with that group it was a special time i, I never experienced such a dose of spiritual music in my life and so much uplifting discussion it was just a week that blew me away, and it was just an incredible week. I loved it so much, and I, I can't even find the words to talk about how much this week meant to me. So another true story on the very last night of camp, which was Saturday night, the last Saturday, uh, You know, we have our typical devotions at 10 o'clock. And then campfire singing usually kind of goes till about eleven o'clock or so. And night patrol then dismisses us. And you know, maybe there's a closing prayer, or a second closing prayer, and or a last song, whatever. But the last night, the group was just so together that we just kept going to eleven, eleven thirty. I think it didn't break up until around midnight. And I think night patrol saw the power in what what was happening at that moment. It wasn't like it was a couple of, like troublemakers, you know, breaking curfew. The core of the camp, like the leaders of the camp, were around the campfire well past the the curfew time, because just something was happening. It was a real bonding moment for the people that were there. Like we maybe sang the camp hymn three different times. The spiritual music was just going. It was a beautiful night. At one point, they had to do a little, little guitar switch, and Nate Abel gave a little sixty second talk on Alexander the Great. And like the group was just having this spiritual moment. That you—it's one of those nights you never forget the rest of your life, and I can still remember it so well. Eventually, I think Night Patrol, maybe around eleven thirty, they walked out there and said, "You know, we we see what's happening here. We're not going to force you to leave, but just as an FYI, this is the time just to make a decision for everyone." They, they didn't want to break us up because they could see what was happening. I mean, eventually, they—they they had to at, after midnight. But like this, this camp, the magic of this year. The, the greatness of the cantata and that final night when nobody wanted to say goodbye, nobody wanted it to end. It was just one of those powerful times that shapes a person. And I'm just so grateful that I had that experience with, with these people that year. So all of that was a really roundabout way of saying that out of something potentially disastrous came something marvelous. Now, so I also want to talk about the overlying culture or uh, feel of the camp this year, because it connects to the cantata. And that is, you know, with the story of Ruth, obviously, it's about relationships. It's about love. And you could even say romance. And this year, more than any other year, I know Youth Conference has a reputation for being a place where, you know, single ladies and single fellas can kind of get together. Uh, But this year by far more than any other, there was love in the camp. It was, it was in the air. It was everywhere. I mean, I mean in this cantata, so if you, you can hear in the cantata, I think if you are aware of this, I mean, there's a song called, Who Can Find a Virtuous Woman? The song In One Mind is about marriage. And we're in the camp groups and some of the questions we're discussing are like, what are the traits that Ruth exhibited to look for in a, in a potential wife? Or what are the traits in Boaz that make for a good husband? And like, So we're in our discussion groups talking about this and you look around the discussion group and there are five to eight available Ruths, so to speak, you know, like, so it was just like hitting us in the face. It was just right in front of us. That like, this is the place to find your Boaz or to find your Ruth. And so what it led to, Sam, I want actually want to bring you in on this. The night of the cantata. So we have the cantata on Friday night, and then there's the devotions at 10 o'clock and people gather around the fire. The amount of blanket sharing happening at the campfire that night was just, it was so beyond out of control. So I wanted to ask you, Sam, because you've been at the campfire in recent years. Is blanket sharing still a practice that goes on today at youth conference?
1: <laughs> I didn't see a whole lot of it in my year. Cause we had some weird years in in the last few years. I mean, we had, um, we had a couple of years with fire bands. Um, so I mean, there, I mean. Oh yeah. It, it's There was some weird stuff in the, in the couple of years. I mean, the most distinct blanket sharing I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> it was was actually with myself sharing a snuggie with Luke Brown. Oh, beautiful
0: <laughs> a little romance the, going on! Oh,
1: it was the best kind of snuggie. It was it was it was um it was me and Luke Brown, and I think uh, Ben Adams got in on it a little bit too. Um, that was, I mean, there there was some brotherly bonding. That was that was oh, probably about four years ago now. What what a memory! It was it, it was a dream i I have fond memories of that
0: back to two thousand and three, yeah, it was just a beautiful year, like we're having some laughs about this, but it really was a good year for for people to find each other, and it really was a or just an emotionally charged year, and I think an emotionally charged cantata because of this love and romance that was so prevalent in the camp. And even on that, that Friday night, as, as a true story, my campsite that year was down the very end of Lakeshore, because I was back in the days before the camp was split in two and kind of gender segregated down the middle. So from our campsite, you could just look up and see the large playing field and so that night, you know, after curfew, you, you could just kind of stand up and look over and see the couples taking walks in the field and laying under the grass and looking up at the stars. It was a, a beautiful night. And and I actually think it was a good thing for couples to find each other on the basis of shared faith and a, and a shared study and a, this shared culture at the camp.
1: And, and, you know, I think the nice thing about the Ruth Cantata too is, you know, we we when you look at... Uh, a lot of the relationships in the Bible, you know, it's very easy to kind of take them and bring it into the abstract of, okay, this is Christ in the ecclesia. And then it takes on this sort of abstract form in a sense, because you know we don't we, you know as the as part of the bride, we don't see our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we don't interact with him face to face. But when you bring it on when you take it on this romantic level, you know you can you can imagine, you know, more, more acutely, the dynamic that the bride should have, it becomes less of an academic sort of knowledge and it becomes something you can see in practice. So seeing, seeing these songs, um, you know, reading the lyrics and hearing the songs talking about this relationship and, you know, in, in, in in this romantic sense, makes the relationship between Christ and the bride come alive in uh, a lot of ways, you know, you know, like what we're going to talk about the, you know, virtuous woman song. I mean, you know, it is it is singing poetic about a a woman of God. But, you know, of course, the, the, the focus is the, the goal at the end of the day is to look at this as, you know, what is the state of our our body in Christ? You know, do we you know, would our Lord see us in the same, you know, noble terms or would he say, you know, like the 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 last lines of a song, you know, talking about, you know, talk about how charm is fleeting and, um,
0: charm is deceitful and beauty is vain.
1: Right. You know, and, and you look at the, uh, you know, you can, you can apply that to ecclesial life too, where you say, you know, like, you know, you can have a well done hall. You can have, you know, you can, you can, you can have all the Instagram Bible pictures that you want. But if there isn't a, a fear of the Lord that informs all those actions, then it's kind of worthless. Um, so, it's, it, but it's, it's awesome taking that, you know, taking these topics and, you know, kind of displaying them in a more raw sense rather than the sterilized academic sense that sometimes tends to happen when we discuss relationships in the truth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's go to the next topic of introduction here. Which I want to discuss here, sort of the uh, how being at the camp influences your listening of a cantata. So I've been sort of very open how this is my favorite cantata. I absolutely love it, but I think part of that is is my connection to how much this week meant to me. How it really was a a life changing event, and therefore I view that I connect the cantata to that, and so perhaps. I lose my objectivity in evaluating the cantata because of my emotional connection to it. So later on, after this conference, when the CD finally came out, so probably early 2004, I was in a conversation with Michelle and Laura Club, who are now Michelle Cooper and Laura Colby. And I was just sort of raving about how much I love this cantata and it kind of asking their thoughts on it. And remember they said to me like, yeah, we like great songs. We love it, but we feel detached from it. And I was almost at the time insulted, like, how how dare you not love this cantata unconditionally? Like I took it so personally because, again, my connection to the year. But I think now I can look back and appreciate the truth of that. that when you're not there that year, there is a little bit of a disconnect that you can certainly uh, enjoy the songs and they can have meaning as a believer. But there is just a little bit of a connection that you lose if you weren't there. And I think that the contrast to that is how my connection to this year is so potent and so powerful. And I still go back to it on, you know, tough days or dark times. I, 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 co- I go back in my mind to this year. And, I, and so I think that there is a deep connection that you form with a cantata in a year you were there, which skews your opinion of it, which I don't, I don't think is a bad thing, but I think I have to be objective that perhaps this year is not going to be everyone's favorite, but it is by far my, I just love it. Okay, so now let's discuss this, this particular uh, cantata, get into the details of it. There are 18 tracks, nine songs, and nine narrations. The total play length is about 48 minutes, so it's, it's right in the sweet spot of between 40 to 50 minutes. It's the, it's the perfect length. Uh, in terms of the top 70 list, there are nine songs in this cantata, and <laughs> confession, eight of them make my top 70. Again, maybe I'm biased. But I just love every bit of this cantata. The only song that doesn't make my list is uh, Who Can Find a Virtuous Woman. It's, it's actually it's, it's a good song, just couldn't quite crack the top 70. And two songs in this cantata make my top 10, and those will become uh, obvious in a few minutes. The director was Dan Osborne. He also composed all the songs. The piano player was Ruth Stiles and the narrator was Chris Newth, and he becomes an absolutely defining part of this cantata, the narrations. He just stands out and really elevates the cantata. Anyone who listens to this cantata, you are doing yourself a disservice by skipping the narrations. Chris just crushes these, and they're also really well-written too. I'm actually going to throw a few clips in here, uh, some of the very unique phrases Chris uses uh, in this particular narration where he uses the phrase, uh, seek to serve. Here's how it sounds. We, too, seek to serve our God in sincerity and truth. And then here is how Chris uses the word temporal, in this uh, particular narration here. Again, this is the word temporal. To provide for the temporal needs of her family. So just legendary stuff here from Chris. I mean, I cannot separate Chris's narrations from this cantata. He absolutely elevates it and is a huge part of it.
1: You know, I, I, I kind of want to add to that because it's it's the um, being able to have, um, being able to offer inflection. It's It's, it's kind of like, there's, there's, there's definitely a level of emotional intelligence being able to read it and to be able to offer the right, the right inflection, the right tone, uh, the right cadence. Sort of like you know, you you hit a stride and reading, uh, you know, listening to the narration is like listening to music in a bit all of its own. It, it's, it was. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think he's one of my, you know, uh, in, in, later, in later years, you know, there's. Um, you know, there's a there's a long list of you know fantastic narrators, um, and, and you know a lot of them, you know, distinct. You know, they have accents and they have distinct ways of speaking. I, I, I and they're all enjoyable in their own ways. Uh, Chris, though, I really, really enjoyed uh, how intuitive he was, and it was, it's something that you could tell he was passionate about. It's something you can tell yeah. he cared about, uh, and it's I respect it immensely for that. So it, it, I'm, I'm right with you. I think it was. Uh, it's it's part and parcel of the cantata experience.
0: Yeah, the the passion is just flowing out of Chris. It's it's remarkable, and I have not done a ranking of the best narrations or best narrators of cantata history. I think if I did though, I think Chris would be number one. It was really a phenomenal narration. Um. Okay, so one more note before we get into the awards, Sam. I just want to say this: the the ladies in this cantata. Absolutely crush it! The, I
1: thoroughly the, agree. Yeah. yeah, the
0: soprano and alto parts—it's—it's it's unbelievable how good they are, and the guys do a fine job. Not saying the guys did a bad job by any means; like they—they they did a, a very good job, but the girls just shine. Uh, absolutely incredible work by them.
1: Oh, you know, and it's incredible work also by, by Dan Osborne as well, because he wrote fantastic desk camp pieces where you had these, uh, sopranos who were able to just, you know, really rise above, uh, the rest of the choir and, and, and elevated, you know, significant parts of the, uh, of, of the pieces themselves. I'm sure there's one part which you and I are going to talk about that does exactly that, um, uh, which I'm, which, which uh, I, I'm not even going to hide it. I mean, it's it's probably my favorite part of the cantata for the year, that particular part. Uh, it is phenomenal.
0: All of that being said, I don't think we thank the ladies enough for what they did on this cantata. I actually like sort of thought back in my mind of all of the elite singers that were there. I actually want to actually give out some shout outs here. Obviously, everyone that sings as a disclaimer, we appreciate your contributions. Every person of the choir helps out, but I really want to sort of single out some of the elite talent that was there in the choir this year. So here's a few names that were there this year for you, Sam. Michelle Parker. Mm -hmm. So you you could stop right there. Michelle Parker's in your choir. You're good to go. Yeah. But on top of her, you've got Hannah Anderson, Sarah DeLiberto, Becky Elliott, Rachel Wilson, Tamar Goltz, uh, Candice Jackson, Sabrina Higgs, Cassandra Higgs, and Sarah Stiles. And I'm sure there's many more I'm missing, but it's, that's just like, it's incredible. Oh yeah,
1: it's, 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 it's an elite gathering. And now I, I have to ask this because you are reading off many maiden names there. Um, are you reading from the original um, directory for the conference that year?
0: No, I don't have my uh, booklet anymore. Unfortunately, I, I don't. So I, I was just remembering back to people that were there that year. It, It's it just it's a murderer's row of soprano and altos. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like the
1: 27 Yankees. I totally agree yes. with you. Like if you put if you took the 27 Yankees and made them female, you know, like female singers, this would for sure be it. I mean, you've got you've got Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio equivalents, you know, riding in these. Yeah, yeah
0: that's like it's like Michelle Parker and Tamar Golds is like is Joe DiMaggio and Babe Ruth for sure. Okay, uh, so let's actually get into the awards now, Sam. We've got our eight award categories. The first is Best Song at the Time. Uh, Sam, g- give me a few suggestions for this one.
1: It's really hard because, because I, even though I No, it's not, there. Sam.
0: No, it's not, my friend. I'm going to jump in there and cut you off, sir, because I was there in the pavilion that year, and it is it is an absolute blowout, no-brainer. The Best Song at the Time was Worthy as the Lamb. Okay. No no disrespect to all of the other great songs in this cantata, but that the power of this song live was palpable in the pavilion. I'm not gonna exaggerate it like if it was some sort of shockwave, but the sound waves. I could just feel the energy in the room. I I feel like if if the roof of the pavilion had collapsed at the end, the the big climax of where the is the lamb, it would have just levitated because of the energy in the room. You you could have powered the camp generator with the energy coming from this song. It it was just such a a charge moment, both spiritually of praising Christ and envisioning being in the kingdom, and also emotionally of this this week of bonding together. And here we are singing about Christ coming and praising him. When the song ends, you can even hear it in the recording. the, The last second after the song ends, there's this echoing back and forth. Like the power of that final note just was reverberating around the pavilion. Yeah, it the was reverb. Amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I mean, I agree. It is an epic. It's one of those songs that you know I wish I could translate into you know a good you know like to the campfire. I haven't been successful with that. I'm sure uh, you know other guitarists like James Diliberto or uh, you know Steve McKay might might have you know been able to you know, accomplish that, I haven't been able to, but man, it is it is a powerhouse of a song. I agree with you
0: 100%. Yeah, it, it's not a campfire, though, song, Sam. I, mean, I think it actually leads, it's a good transition to the next category, which is best song today. Because I was trying to think, I, I actually don't know if Worthy is the Lamb is the best song today, just because it's a song to use on special occasions, on rare moments. Like Even the content of the song, it's from Revelation chapter four. It's about, you know, when Christ returns and he's there with the redeemed, the saints are there and they're praising him and declaring him worthy. That is a one-time event. The makeup of this song is about a w- event that happens once in world history. So therefore, I don't think the song can be sung a whole bunch. And it's hard to hear it again and again and again, because it just sort of, it, it gives you a lot, but it also requires a lot out of a listener to really sort of build up to the song. And so I, I don't know if it is the best song today. I'm actually wide open, Sam, to some of your suggestions for what might be the best song today.
1: Oh, um, it would be Send Forth Thy Light. The very first song of the cantata, because right, you know, right out the gate, it comes out with a song that, for me, it is my is again my favorite of the entire cantata. Uh, it it elevates, it brings a lot of emotion. It's uh, there's there's a you know very strong sort of key change, which is um, the style. Of the key change is sort of signature to the way Dan Osborne composes. Um, I'll I'll get into that in a little bit, but. Send forth thy light for me is the song that I that was repeated in the 2016 cantata for sons of Cora um, and and doesn't lose any of its emotion hearing it you know 13 years, 20 years later it's 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 a it's a masterpiece to me and right now for me is the song that stands out as if I had to choose any song to listen to at any given time send forth thy light is the song.
0: Uh, what about the camp hymn Sam? Again, maybe maybe my connection sort of, I, I'm biased and I'm emotionally compromised. And so when I hear the hymn, it transports me back to 2003. But I do think the camp hymn has just such a beauty and a grace to it. And I sort of a, a warmth and comfort that I think really applies all of these years later. I I, I agree with you.
1: I, I think what's going to happen is that it's going to segue into, um, you know, what we're we're kind of dabbling in it. Um, what I would have to say is that this year offered what I believe is the strongest group of entry uh, and, you know, applicants entrance, whatever you want to call them into the, 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 the campfire songbook that I yes. still have that I still utilize. I count. Um, now I would say there are at least four, actually probably five. Cause if I look at the, if I'm looking at the, um, if I'm looking at the list of cantatas, so like the songs that I know are in the book, um, Send Forth Thy Light is in there. Uh, Godly Friends is in there. Who Can Find a Virtuous Woman, of Glory, Worthy is the Lamb, Under Whose... So there are six songs which are in the uh, Campfire Songbook, the Manitoulin Campfire Songbook, which I uh, also co-opted for the uh, Midwest Bible School last year. There are there are six of those, and I would say of those six, uh, three of them find regular requests and regular play, uh, even even now with a new generation.
0: Okay, so we're dabbling into the third category here, which is the best campfire song. So, do you have a pick for for best campfire song of those three in the regular rotation, Sam? Which one is the best one?
1: Uh, it's it's a it's a toss up. So, I'm gonna give you what the uh, I'm gonna give you what the top two are. And then I am going to probably have to t- choose my number one. The top two are under whose wings to camp him, absolutely, and of glory. Mm, nice, um, and that's a tough one because they both they're they're both requested. They're both popular. Um, of glory is one that I personally lean on a lot, and I'll admit my complete bias here. It 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 goes great with it. It's something about the. It doesn't shy away from handling some challenging emotions in the beginning of it, talking about, you know, we are troubled on every side, but not distressed, perplexed, but not in despair. You know, it doesn't it doesn't shy away from that. But then just the way it uplifts into this, the, the chorus of the song, which is – it suits really well for uh, campfire singing because you can really – bring some passion to it. And I know passion isn't something that you'll always, you know, you, you, you want to be zealous and you want to, you know, sing it for what the words are worth. Uh, and, and, you know, not just focus on, Oh, this is a pretty melody, but you know, sometimes that music really drives the, the wording and the phrases of the song. I, I love of glory. I would have to say that will be my favorite campfire song. It's, it's one I absolutely adore, but, but under whose wings, would have to be a very close second.
0: Yeah, I mean, Of Glory is potentially the best male-only song in cantata history, and absolutely is a great campfire song. Without hesitation, I'm going with the camp hymn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I realize we never made a pick, though, for the best song today.
1: Uh, I mean, I I've got my time. I've, 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 You're going
0: Send Forth I Light?
1: Yeah, it's just my okay. personal favorite. It's the one I, I could listen to that all day long.
0: I I think mine is the camp hymn, so we're gonna have to uh, s- take another tie on this one again, Sam. Mm-hmm. And again, for the best campfire song, I say Andrew, as long as you have come to trust."
1: So, so I mean, this is an important distinction, of course. We're you know we're talking from the perspective of you know a, a somebody who's you know who loves singing the songs, and we come from somebody who's you know directing the. Uh, you know, who's been directing a lot of the uh, campfire singing for a long time. So it's different, different contexts as well. I mean, I, from playing the guitar perspective, I just love breaking into Of Glory. Like it, it just lights my life up.
0: Okay. And I'm going to have some thoughts to come in a future category about uh, the camp hymn. I think it's a, uh, I think it's an, an incredible campfire song. And I'll have a few more thoughts on that short, shortly to come here. Okay. So now we come to the best moment and uh fyi i have seven of these sam to suggest to you so we're going to play a few clips here from some of the the moments of this cantata and that it was actually difficult for me to pick only seven like at one point i had like 13 in my notes i had to do some make some difficult choices uh so the first one and these are just in the order they appear in in the cantata so the first one comes from send forth thy light and i believe is the moment you were referring to earlier so here is a clip of the right in the middle of send forth thy light this song based off psalm 43
1: what it is is it's beginning at a second verse but it goes into acapella it, it is the second one yeah. follows the same sort of pattern but it just completely cuts out the piano accompaniment
0: yeah so it takes the the words of verse five right here in the song Yeah. So the harmonies in that clip are just incredible, but I think you want to talk about this, Sam. So go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just, I was just rocking out to it. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh, There's, you know, again, I, I talked last week about the dissonance. I talked about, you know, the need for dissonance, which provides tension, but then the removal that provides that relief that kind of, you know, brings that level of satisfaction we're talking about. Um, you know, it's, it's sung wonderfully, you know, it's all on key. And and I think that was that was Tamar we were talking about singing that descant. I don't know if it was just Tamar. I was again, I wasn't there that year, so I don't know if it was just Tamar or if there are other sopranos that were supporting. But um, the clarity and the breathing of held, holding that high descant note is just stellar. It is it is masterclass. Um, descant and it and it really elevated the whole piece for me i i completely love i i just can't get over that part.
0: Yeah, it's 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 wonderful so let, let's keep moving here the next moment i'm going to suggest is the very end of ruth's song where again all of the uh the female voices are harmonizing and it kind of brings it all together so here's the end of ruth's song Oh man, when the altos are stepping down like that, the, the harmonies are just so incredible. And I, I think the emotion that the music is sort of gathering and building there does really sort of exemplify the emotion that would have been in Ruth's words to Naomi, I will not leave you. Where you go, I will go. That would have been very powerful words. I'm sure they were in tears when that conversation happened. And this song just brings you emotionally right into that moment between those two, as I think it's, it's beautiful.
1: I, I love actually, you know, there's so much in all, all those songs and I wish we can go through all of them for, uh, for, from what I'm thinking about as well, but it's in that same song where we have this section, what, what happens. And I, I just want to talk about this for just a minute. Uh, part of what makes the Ruth Cantata so phenomenal, what makes a lot of the songs so phenomenal? I mentioned briefly how there's sort of signature, uh, Dan Osborne sort of, um, com- composition, um, technique. Uh, a lot of what he does, he does it in "Send Forth Thy Light." He does it in "Ruth's Song," and he does it in "Of Glory." Uh, what he'll do is that he'll start the song in a certain key. Like for example, uh, "Ruth's Song," which we just listened to, was it sung in the key of uh, F major. Um, and there is a part in the middle where it, it, where the song takes on a noticeably darker, more brooding tone, where it talks about "Where you die, I will die." And there I'll be buried, and you notice how, like, you listen to it. The song changes key. And what it does, actually, is that um, Dan, in the composition, changes it from a major key, F major, to a minor key, F minor. Uh, and by doing by doing so, he still maintains, you know, a lot of similar styles, uh, but changing the tone of it really gives us this sort of brooding, uh, scent, you know, like, thoughtful sort of tone to the song. And then when he bring, you know, when it comes back, it goes back to that F major key. And that's when we hear the song really, you know, ramp up to that point, which you just pointed out was your favorite. Now, um, Dan does this for two other songs uh, in send forth thy light. He starts the song in the key of A minor, and then the chorus is in the key of A major, same purpose. You have this sort of thoughtful, brooding beginning, and then it lifts up into the chorus, which really elevates the uh, ele- elevates the words of the song as it's elevating the, uh, the musical key, and it makes it sound very bright and hopeful. And then he does it in Of Glory. In Of Glory, uh, the song starts off in the key of B flat minor, and then when it lifts into the For Our Light Affliction part, um, that comes into the B major. Again, they all fulfill... It's, it's a signature of Dan Onboard's composing, which all fulfill the same purpose. It, it uses the minor tones to offer this sort of brooding undertone uh, to the lyrics. And then it uses the reversion back to the major key as uh, as an elevation of the spirit. So it's a phenomenal uh, signature that that Dan does. And I don't know if he would call it a signature uh, move necessarily. But I, listening to several of his songs that I consider, you know, classic D.O., um, I would have to say that that's why I love so much of his music. And that's why I love that, that section I just mentioned for Ruth's song. Because of that style, um, it resonates with me, not just because I understand the theory of it, but because um, I appreciate the... the way it lifts the spirits
0: yeah and i think there's another key change coming up in one of my moments uh here to come in just a minute here so the next moment is sort of a very subtle one that maybe you don't catch on your first listening it's at the end of the choruses in trust in him when the choir actually sings and sort of holds out trust in him there's this sort of very beautiful part in the piano on the the right-hand part of the piano. To me, it sounds like a harp. It's like the the closest approximation to the sound of a harp you can make on a piano.
1: Was that just the old Manitoulin piano just that needed tuning?
0: (laughs) It it could have just been a horribly out-of-tune piano or a beautiful sounding harp. But here is the clip from the end of the chorus of Trust in Him. Yes so in the song at like the, the the verses the piano is very it, it's forceful it's driving but then at the end of these choruses the piano really softens as if the song initially is encouraging you to trust in him And then in the chorus, like you've, you've, you have trusted, you've extended that trust. And so there's more of a gentleness and softness that comes out in the piano at that point. And I just love that, that harp sound that's like that fountain rising type sound that really sort of accentuates the peacefulness and the grace of the end of that song.
1: I, I really enjoy that as well. I think you said it very, you know, very aptly that, you know, it's the song is about trusting in God and there's this sort of internal desire within all of, you know, this internal struggle, I should say, within all of us to, you know, with, with surrendering our problems and our cares to God and that can be a lot of turmoil. But then there's this, this release, which comes around when, um, when that when that surrender does happen, when you date, when you when you finally get the courage in that moment to say, "Not my will, but thine be done," yeah. you know, there's this gentle. W- what is that one line with uh, you know gentle resignation? Still, um, there's it, it in a he hymn. yielded
0: he yielded to his father's will.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I think about when I think about that. It's a very it's a very sort of touching, poetic sort of moment. And again, it's encapsulated by the um, encapsulated by that um a uh, little piano I don't know the
0: technical term so I'm going to call it little diddly okay I have four more moments but they all come within 10 minutes of each other to me the the ending of this is not one of the moments but the very last verse of in one mind when the male and female voices combine in harmony from that moment on through to the camp hymn is probably the best 10 to 12 minute stretch of any cantata in my opinion but as part of that, though, is the narrations. So my next suggestion for best moments is the narration that Chris gives after In One Mind, but before Worthy is the Lamb. So In One Mind is this very sort of soft, reflective, meditative song where you just embrace the peace and the relationship that we have with Christ as our groom. And the narration has to take us from zero to 100 Because then in Worthy is the Lamb, we are now praising Christ at full voice. So you have to make this mental transition from acceptance and appreciation straight into praise. And it's Chris's narration that makes that transition for the listeners. And I'm not going to read it. I'm going to actually let Chris do it for us because I will not do it justice.
2: May it be soon. That together we will sing the song of the redeemed as part of that glorious, perfected bride. Worthy is the lamb that was slain and hath redeemed us by his blood. To receive power and riches, wisdom and strength
0: and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. Yes, so you hear that narration and you are just ready to go. You are ready to declare Jesus as worthy. You know, he is the lamb that was slain. And that 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 last sentence, of the narration was just so powerful at the time and still is today. So I think it's actually one of the best moments, if not the best moment of the cantata, to be honest with you. All right, so then that leads into Worthy is the Lamb, where I actually have uh, two different moments from this song. And I think this is going to be a, a key change moment here, Sam. So if you have any insight on the technics, technical stuff of this let me know there are so, uh, so many
1: key changes in worthy is the lamb that i'm not going to go into detail on <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of them
0: so this moment here after the sort of the first cycle through of the song of worthy is the lamb then like, there's there's a key change and then it comes back to a part where the the men sing like the same line four times in a row but the same notes and then the the female voices sort of come in and build and add harmonies each time so i believe this clip is uh, sort of two of those iterations of where the female harmonies build in the middle of the song Yeah, the harmonizing happening there is really powerful to really just make you feel joyous and excited about what this moment would be like to be there when Christ is revealed and where they're praising him. And I remember looking out at the choir when I was in the audience and just seeing the joy and the smiles on the singer's faces when they sang this part. It was a really powerful moment. And I, yeah, I think even holds up now, you know, 17 years later, On the CD, and so now for the the next uh, top moment, I actually now have, of course, is the the finale of "Worthy Is the Lamb," and I talked about this before. Just how powerful, both vocally, how loud this song was, but also the spirit of that moment, how charged the pavilion was. So here is the big finale of "Worthy Is the Lamb." So yeah, that, that moment, I I mean, I mean can still remember being there in my seat and who I was next to. And I, I cannot wait to sing that song again when Christ returns. Like, it, it's such a powerful moment.
1: Okay, I'm going to call you on it. Who were you next to?
0: I was sitting next to Joe Robinson. So I got there early to get a good seat, kind of right in the middle. And I was on the, the aisle side or in the, the central aisle, just on the left side. And then Joe Rob sat just next to me and uh and we, pff, it was it was amazing i remember when the choir was over or the cantata was over joe turned to me and said mike what did you think and i couldn't even talk i could not find the words to convey how how i was doing at that moment it was it was spectacular
1: you know one thing i think which is helpful for context there's a lot of people you know there might be several people listening to this who weren't at the pavilion before it was remodeled and doubled in size i mean you got to think about you know, it was a significantly smaller pavilion at the time.
0: I I think the smaller pavilion suited the cantatas better. I think it helped to concentrate the sound and it made for a more intimate experience. You think it helped I, the acoustics? Yeah. And I certainly understand that they had to expand it for, you know, the, the big camps, family camp, kids camp, main camp. But I do think for conference, it, it was a little bit less intimate uh, for the, a small group of young people when there was all this space to spread out uh, in, in later years. But that's just my opinion. Uh, let's come to the, my last suggestion, which actually, again, is another narration. And this is the final narration of where after we've sung this song, Praising Christ, we now turn back to the main lesson of the camp. And as Chris was saying these words, the camp hymn was sort of playing subtly in the background and we're all about to stand up and sing it. And the, the narration is so well-written and so well done. So I'm going to, again, I, I couldn't do it justice. So we're going to listen to uh, Chris Newth narrate the, uh, the end of the cantata for us.
2: May we trust in the righteousness and faithfulness of our God at all times, striving to uphold his character within and without the fold, and seeking to serve our brothers and sisters as godly friends. And may we be strong and of good courage, looking unto Jesus and walking confidently in the love of Yahweh, God of Israel, under whose wings we have
0: come to trust. And so in the moment, as That last note sort of trickles off of the piano and, and, you know, and Dan turned around and raised his arms for the audience to stand. It was such an energetic moment, just beyond words. I was, I've never been happier in my life to stand up and sing than I was in that moment. Again, the last 12 minutes of this cantata is, is just beyond description. It is so, so good. All right. So Sam, did you have any other uh, suggestions for this category?
1: Well, I mean, my my choice would be very simple. I mean, for me, it's just "Send forth thy light from the very beginning to the very end." For me, is just is just for me the top moment of the cantata. That's like true. that that song is it's in like my top two or three favorite cantata songs. I, I don't have like as comprehensive of a list, but you know that one. Every time I hear it, it, it it's it's an emotional song for me. It's it's an emotional song about the joy and privilege of going to worship God.
0: You know, there's just so many brilliant musical moments in this cantata, Sam. Like you have your favorites, I have mine. So what I actually think stands out the most is the narrations. I'm going to actually say the best moment is that classic Chris narration right before Worthy is the Lamb, where he's building up those words from Revelation chapter four. That to me is maybe the defining moment of the cantata. So let's come now to the best line of narration, which uh, I guess I just gave away. I, there, there's just so many incredible narrations in this cantata. Again, the top two would be the narration before Worthy is the Lamb and the narration right before Under Whose Wings. I've got two more that should also be mentioned. One was sort of a very brilliant stroke of genius, which was the very first narration by reading Ruth chapter one, verse one, it just takes us right into the story where Chris reads, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and sons. And so begins the journey. And it's a, it's, it's a, this a fantastic job of bringing all the listeners straight into the story. And one more I'll mention, I think is perhaps the most, uh, or maybe the second most necessary narration, which is the narration prior to who can find a virtuous woman. Because you you mentioned this point earlier, Sam, how this song really is about characteristics of the Ecclesia as Christ's bride. It's really a song for all of us, for both genders. And I think think the narration is very important to highlight that. So the, the last line of that narration reads, may we look to Ruth as an example of a true godly and virtuous woman and learn from her moving example, working as an ecclesia to possess these qualities when our betrothed returns to be joined with his bride. So that narration shows us that this song is not the choir telling women to be virtuous. It's really about how all of us as Christ's bride should be living and striving to live like Ruth in this faithful way each day, so I think it's a really helpful and important narration in that sense.
1: I agree with you, and I, I think it's a good point that you make that it's not about a grocery list. It's not about checking things off a list. It's about having. It's about striving for a framework. It's about striving for a, a spirit of mind that is. It's an invitation for all of us to do. You know, we look at you know talking about you know, working diligently with your hands and, uh, you know, everyone calling her blessed, you know, that is, that is not a a grocery list that, you know, one shy list of that, that, you know, one shy of that means, you know, complete and utter disaster. It's more, it's a challenge to each of us to say, okay, well, how can we be more industrious? How can we, you know, not just be called blessed, but how can we bless others with our behaviors. Um, so definitely a, a challenging, um, call to action, which is, you know, what a good narration, what a good exhortation would do. This is, this is, this is an exhortation for all who would take it in that mindset.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. All right, Sam, let's, uh, let's get crazy here. It's time for wildest opinion. And Sam, I am coming in smoking red hot with my opinion. So I actually want to maybe hold back. I want to let you get yours out of the way first if you have one. Otherwise, I'm about to come in here and just throw fire.
1: Uh, okay. Let me see here. Is it? Uh, no. Uh, I got one. Okay. I want to see if I get yours. Bring it on. I think we should have Chris Newth do a remaster of every narration.
0: <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to. We've got it, man. We've got the A-list stuff. I wouldn't want him to do it now. I want to hear 2003 Chris. You know, no, it really no, no. no. I,
1: I think you're misunderstanding me. Not remaster 2003. I want to hear how Chris would do every single cantata narration.
0: Oh, oh, oh! Yeah. You know, I'm. I love it's not where your head.
1: Service to anybody else.
0: Yeah, I I love where your head's at, Sam. But I also do like associating people with a study in Cantata. Like, I thought it was very appropriate that Mike Robinson gave the 2009 narrations, Ryan Mutter for the 2006 narrations. Like, some people I think were destined to be the narrator in a particular year. And I think Chris, in this year, it was the the perfect match. Okay, Sam, I'm ready. Get ready for this. Not only is this camp hymn, under whose wings we have come to trust. Not only is it the best campfire song from this year, not only is it the the camp hymn of my favorite year of conference, this camp hymn is the best camp hymn in the history of youth conference. Feel free to tell me I'm wrong, but I will die on a hill. I will ride or die That this camp hymn was the greatest camp hymn of all time. I see my brethren. Fantastic. Love it. 2005, we won't be conformed. I'll give a shout out to We Listen to Live in 2017. Much respect to all of those camp hymns, but get behind this one. This is the gold medalist of camp hymns. You're you're speechless, Sam. You. You it have is no reaction. Day. That
1: is that is a that is that that will scald your hands if you touch it.
0: The reference to friends being together, like we as friends united by thy glorious light. So the group that's at that campfire, they're united together in a shared faith. If the song means so much, it's really written to be a prayer where we can. Praise God and thank Him for all His love to us and for calling us, and then at the end we petition Him that He would find favor with us, and as we embrace our place under His wings. So here's a true story. On the first night we sang the camp hymn, which was actually Sunday night that week. We, you know, we had the, the first session of learning the camp hymn around the campfire. We sing it once, and then. I remember it was so strange when we went to the closing prayer immediately afterwards, it was almost felt like, like a shame. We just couldn't sing the song 10 times in a row, but we had the closing prayer and no sooner had the closing prayer ended, but you know, the cheers started bellowing out of the the back of the holla, sing it again, sing it again. And we just sang the camp hymn again, right there after the closing prayer. And it was better the second time. People just wanted to keep singing this camp hymn. And every single night, it just got better and built leading up to the cantata. And this camp hymn, it was just so emblematic of how great this week was. Everyone loved the camp hymn. I, I can't remember ever having a camp hymn be demanded to be sung twice in a row around the campfire. That is that is how good this camp hymn is. It will always be the number one camp hymn to me. Okay, the next category is the number one lesson of the cantata. I'll throw a few nominees out there. Uh, the first one would be trust. This concept of really putting your trust in God in difficult decisions. So in the story of Ruth, of course, you know, Ruth puts her trust in both Naomi and in Naomi's God, the God of Israel, to go back to Israel. And like Boaz was this apparently successful man, but yet still single, someone who perhaps had chosen to trust in God to provide a wife, a faithful wife for him in a very sort of ungodly, evil time at the end of the period of the judges. And so these people then also, once Ruth and Boaz get together, They then have to, they want to get married, but they still obey God and follow the nearest kinsman process and could have potentially not wound up together, but they trusted and obeyed God. And that comes out time and again in the cantata. One of the songs is called Trust in Him. And so when you hear this cantata, to me, it just reminds us to place our trust in God in a very real way. And that can mean some difficult decisions to put yourself out there, trusting in God to provide. A second one is then it really is about relationships. That's sort of an, an obvious one that we talked about earlier, but it was it was apparent at both the camp in the study and also in these songs that it's so important for us to surround ourselves with people of faith. So both in the, the godly friends song, well, at the camp, these are your godly friends. These are the people to help you and you help them on your journeys together and then of course in terms of you know your spouse and who you fall in love with like look for people of faith look for people that have the traits of of Ruth and Boaz and when you hear this song again i remember when i was 20 years old godly friends was just such a powerful song for me to to embrace my friendships that i have and to support those and build those and so i think th- this lesson of Finding good, faithful relationships comes out even all of these years later. Do you have any more you want to add, Sam?
1: I think the, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head for all of them. I mean, Ruth is a is a great study of you know that both has academic you know there's a lot of you know types foreshadowing, uh, but there's just a lot of practical stuff that we can take from it as well. Um, it is. It is a phenomenal study. It is a phenomenal cantata. Um, and I would say that you, you probably hit on the main lessons right on the head. Just trusting in God's providence is, you know, inherently not an easy thing to do. And, you know, considering the context of, uh, of what we're living in right now, we are trusting in – there's a lot of things that we're trusting in. There's there's a lot of people who are trusting that God will provide their next paycheck for those who have been laid off from jobs. There are a lot of people now who are, you know, trusting that, you know, they can they'll they have to work the front lines of whether they're medical, in medical field or whether they're in retail. Um, you know, there's a lot of people on the front lines who have to trust day in day out that, you know, God protects them from this potentially deadly disease that is affecting a lot of people. There's a lot of levels of trust that we need to have in God right now. And it's easy to throw around the word trust in God, trust in him. Um, But the beauty of scripture, the beauty of this story is, is that God supplies all the reasons why we should trust in him. The Bible as a whole is a living document of all the things that God has done for the people who call on his name. And it doesn't matter where you start, Uh, it matters where you end up. You know, just like, you know, Ruth was the Moabitess at the, you know, all throughout the story. And then when she's finally married to Boaz and when she gives birth to a child, you know, she then, then she is Ruth. You know, she loses that stigma of being a Gentile and she is just who she is. Uh, There's just a huge element of trust that we need to be able to have it it's not it's not easy to throw out there but in this context of what the life we're living in right now it's all the more essential to look to the bible look to stories like ruth to see that god has shown us all the reasons why we should trust in him and the decision rests on us to act accordingly
0: yeah, so the lessons of this study are very applicable today, as you mentioned, that just as they had to trust in God or were asked to trust in God during a drought and during difficult situations and tough questions, we must trust God now in this difficult time. Absolutely. Uh, so one more lesson I have that I think is going to be my pick, and I think it means more to me now than I gave it enough attention back 17 years ago, was my listen to this cantata now. It gives me this deep appreciation of Christ in my life and of you know his sacrifice for me and the redemption that he offers. Of course, redemption being a big theme of the book of Ruth and in the typology, Boaz was the redeemer for Ruth and of course for the family of Elimelech. And then the, the cantata makes a, that transition for us that we look to Boaz as a type of Christ. And just as he redeemed the family then, Christ redeems us. And so it left me with this great gr- sense of gratitude that Jesus gave himself for us. And we praise him and worthy is the Lamb. We, we, that's our chance to give our our thanks and our gratitude back to him. By declaring that he is worthy and so hearing this cantata all these years later it's given me a it's really helped me to reinvigorate my appreciation for jesus every day all right let's come now to the last award which is the legacy of the cantata I'll, i'll suggest what it is for me to me this is this is a cantata of comfort I mentioned before how when I have a, a rough day or if I feel my faith is a bit stale, having having some dark times, whatever it may be, I come back to this cantata and it really is reinvigorating. It's renewing for me. And it helps me to sort of reappreciate all the blessings, all the gifts that God has given me in my life. And I I can feel again like being wrapped in his protective arms, you know, under whose wings we've come to trust. This is a, a cantata to really comfort me and help bring me back into maybe good graces is probably not the right word, but back in my mind to a healthier relationship with God when I listen to this cantata. That's what it does for me. I think there could also be a case that the legacy of this cantata is the narrations, just that the narrations by Chris really set this cantata apart from others and make it very distinct, uh, just a phenomenal job by him and the writer of the narrations. Did you have any other suggestions for the legacy of the cantata, Sam?
1: Uh, the legacy of the cantata really did provide a, you know, I I, I think it's important to mention that the cantata um, provided a great framework for modern Christadelphian hymns of praise. Uh, no, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, you've got the Praise the Lord books. You've got, you know, a lot of the Christadelphian hymn books. But uh, for me, it's this was, you know, sort of my first exposure. Because when I was, I remember, I was uh, in 2004, the next year, was my first introduction to, you know, any real Christadelphian music. And a lot of the songs that were sung around that campfire were the um, songs from 2003.
0: Yeah, the, the the song list from this year is just, as I mentioned before, it's so deep. It's so good. Uh, okay, so uh, anything else you wanted to add, Sam, to any of the awards or anything else before we begin to wrap up here? No, I don't think so. Okay, so I, th- I think this was a really good discussion really helped renew some of these lessons for me to go back and review this cantata. I really enjoyed this discussion with you, Sam. So thank you once again. My pleasure. Uh, Next week, Lord willing, we'll be discussing, of course, 2004 and the study on Thessalonians. And there we are hoping to have a guest on next week, which I'm very excited about. We actually have had a couple of volunteers to come on as guests on the podcast. So if anyone out there would love, would like to come on and join us for a show, for a year you were at camp and want to talk about it and listen to the cantata again. We'd love to have guests on, so please reach out to me or to Sam. We'd love to have anyone on who wants to talk about the cantatas. Uh, So Sam, why don't we go out then with the camp hymn? Again, in my opinion, the greatest camp hymn of all. Go out singing this, this beautiful composition, which is a song that reminds us of the grace of our God and all his gifts towards us and the help he provides us each day in our lives that we can Walk confidently in the love of Yahweh, God of Israel, under whose wings we have come to trust.
3: We come to thee-